0: Overnights with Paul Ross. Ding, ding, all change at Wolves, and apparently Wolverhampton Wanderers are closing in on the appointment of the former Benfica manager to succeed Nuno Espirito Santo as their manager. No agreement has been reached yet with the Portuguese man, who's 45 years old, but he has phoned to England for talks with Wolves chairman Jeff Shee and technical director Scott Sellers. To find out more and to get a sense of how Portugal might do in the forthcoming Euros, delighted to welcome back to Chalk Sport and Chalk Radio, Danny Pinto from the Sellers podcast, the host, in fact, of the Sellers podcast. Good morning, Danny. How you doing, matey? Paul, how are you, sir? So thanks for uh, having me on. Very well indeed. Now, can you give us a bit of a background to this? I think it's Bruno. Is it Lager? It's pronounced. Uh, it's a large. Large. Give us some background, please, to him, because he's achieved quite a lot. I think with uh, with Benfica, didn't he win? He won the title with him, I think back in 2019.
1: Yeah, he he got successful real quick, real fast. Um, I, you know, if you guys remember back uh, at the beginning of last uh, the last Premier Premier League season. There are rumors of him perhaps uh taking over for Dean Smith at Aston Villa before uh support for Dean Smith, you know, um started uh varying up again. So yeah, uh he took over for uh Huey Vitoria in January of twenty nineteen and just went on an unreal run at Benfica. He won eighteen of nineteen league matches, drew the other one, and overtook uh FC Port for uh, for the league title. And then the following season he just seemed to lose the locker room in uh, the 1920 season had a big lead in the in the uh, at the beginning part of the of that season um the team started falling apart uh, locker room was lost uh, a lot of infighting between players and uh, and kind of like the technical team and he was deemed by many in the media and many in Portugal as being a yes man to the president of Benfica Luis Felipe Vieira and then when the lead was lost in the league and Ports uh, was on their way to becoming champions. He was dismissed with about a handful of games to go. Um for me it's a it would be an odd hire, uh simply because considering where you're coming from as a Wolves fan, I mean Moon Swirts Santa is such a beloved figure in that uh at that club. Sure. Um you know, taking them from promotion. Uh, to the Premier League in, in 17, then European football the following season in, in, in uh, 2018. Not the season that they wanted, uh, this past season. Obviously, when you lose a player of Diogo Jota's, um, you know, caliber and then having Raul Jimenez being out, uh, from, a, a, a majority of the season as well, you know, they only mustered up 12 wins out of 38 matches. So I think he comes in, not that Nunes Sunt is somebody who, um, has big boots to fill. But in terms of a Premier League presence for Wolves in their recent history, Brun Lodge is potentially walking into something that, um, he may not ultimately be ready for. And I find it to be an odd higher, to be
0: quite honest. If he were to take over, would it be a smooth transition as far as the way the team runs out goes? Or would there be, would he want to mix things up a bit, do we think? What's his style of play? What style of play is your favour?
1: Well, I, when, when he took over for Huivitaudia, the, the style of play, or I mean, I should say the, the attack was in, in a bit of a standstill, uh, that he inherited at Benfica. And, and you have to remember, this is right before, uh, João Félix, uh, who is now uh, at Atletico Madrid. Uh, Bruno Lodge is the one that called up Joan Félix to the team. And that's when he started blossoming for Benfica. You had him, you had Harris Seferovic, who had a career season under Uh, Brunelage. You had uh, Janos, who had uh, his last season with Brunelage. There, the attack once he came on, uh, he ran the majority of a 4-4-1-1. The attack skyrocketed and was the top of uh, of uh, of the league uh, for that uh, winning season. It sputtered a little bit in the in the second season. That's going to happen when uh, Felix leaves and and Janos is no longer there. But he will get the attack going. Hopefully, as, uh, as the aforementioned Raul, Raul Jimenez, he gets back uh, healthy and ready to go for, uh, for Wolves. And with Pitternet also, uh, you know, going down at the end of uh, this past season, hopefully he recovers soon uh, and is, uh, and is a, a focal point of the attack for, uh, for not only Wolves. Uh, but for Portugal, uh, whenever he, uh, does get back in, cause we're definitely gonna miss him, uh, this summer in the Euros.
0: And Sam Stevens and our top producer were discussing the kind of almost symbiotic relationship between Jorge Mendes and Wolves. What do you make of that? Uh, seems an odd kind of arrangement, an odd setup there. It seems like they can only really hire his clients.
1: Uh, you know what? It pays to be the, uh, the number one agent in all of football, doesn't it, fellas? Yeah. I mean, when he can call the shots and, and pretty much, uh, Dictate where players go and, uh, you know, the, the project itself, is, uh, from, uh, from someone who, who has a Portuguese background, it's been fascinating to see ever since 2017 when that Wolves project began in earnest, uh, to see them promote, to see them have so many players, um, at, uh, at Wolves that are, that are Portuguese or even played in the Portuguese league like, uh, like, uh, Raul Jimenez. So, um, you know, George Mendes is not a, a it's not a someone who, who makes decisions lightly. And uh, when he wants something to happen, usually it does.
0: And we've also got great news. I wonder if it's made much uh, headlines over in Portugal. Man City's Ruben Diaz, Portuguese, of course, has been named the Football Writers Association Men's Football Player, Footballer of the Year, of course, and probably quite right too. Signed to City, I think, from Benfica for what, £65 million or thereabouts? Yeah, he, uh, he was,
1: he was just phenomenal, uh, for Man City this year. Um, he started off as one of the focal points of Jorge uh reasons why he came to uh, back to Benfica, but when they fell out of Champions League play, the writing was on the wall that Diaz is going to have to be sold after the money that they spent at Benfica this summer. But just what a season for for Huben Diaz winning the the FWA's Player of the Year, the only only the third player I believe to win in his first season, yeah. uh, joining uh, Klinsman and Zola and the first defender since Steve to went in now it is in 89, beating, so it's been a beating, while. Beating
0: Harry Kane, beating Kevin De Bruyne. Do you think he's got the maturity, certainly got the tap, but the maturity to kind of galvanize Portugal's defense in the Euros?
1: I absolutely do. I, me personally, I think he, the day that Cristiano Ronaldo retires from international play, I, I would put the armband right on his arm uh, right away. I think he has the temperament, the, just, he's very stoic in the way that he plays, in my opinion. Um, I actually had some reservations when he left Benfica to Manchester City because City has this this amazing uh, ability to buy uh, buy players in the same position that they bought a player in the previous year or two years before at just astronomical numbers. Uh, you had Laporte, you had Stones, you had Ake, and I was I was actually a little apprehensive of his of his signing there, not because I didn't think he would um, be a success there. But I think there would be a bit of a logjam uh, once he got there. But from day one, he established himself as Pep's number one option at, at center back. He won the player of the month in, in November, about a month after being there. And with City giving up the least amount of goals in the league, I think there's a huge credit to uh, that needs to be given there. And I think he's in the conversation now. Uh, as one of the best, if not the best, centre-back in the world right now, I really
0: do. Now, this isn't meant to be a patronising question. My memory goes back long enough to remember Portuguese superstar Eusebio back into the 60s, early 70s. And we've had so many remarkable players at the moment in the Premier League. Silva, Fernandes, we mentioned Ruben Diaz. What is going on in Portugal that produces, for a relatively small country, such immense talent, do you think? What are you doing so right?
1: Uh, see, if we, if I told you that, then everybody else would start uh, start doing it. And that's but it's it is remarkable. Uh, it is, it is remarkable.
0: isn't it? There's something maybe there's something in the water. I don't
1: know. You know what it is? I I think just I just think that there and I and I don't. This is not to disparage any other country or anything, but but there is just a there's a love and a technical side to football that uh, that the Portuguese and I would say maybe just right now uh, are enjoying um and I, I honestly can't put my finger on it specifically but i mean uh sporting coming off of their championship season but they have been historically one of the best academies in the world the last 20 30 years uh benfica turns out great uh, great players porto uh, puts out great players as well um you know these these big leagues england germany spain uh they're they're not uh they're not silly to think that they can get uh, some quality quality players from the feeder system that is a Portuguese league,
0: and is there any sense in which maybe the move against or the perceived move against physicality in the Premier League is benefiting the the kind of quality of Portuguese players?
1: Um, you know, I think it's something that, especially in the Portuguese league, it is a bit of a physical league, but not near the physical the physicality that uh, the Premier League is. And I think in terms of, I think it's only benefited the the national side considering the number of players. Uh, that are playing trade in England. I think that uh, the physical side of, of Portuguese football, especially on the national side, had had taken a hit or just wasn't up to par with other national teams in the past few years. But uh, I would say ever since, the, you know, big moves to England for a lot of these players, uh, especially those right now currently on on this national team, I think that the physicality has benefited the team. And having a, a, a manager like Nansant, who is not flashy, he likes to get the result. That's what he's get, getting paid to do. Um, I think the physicality that the England, uh, that the Premier League gives to these Portuguese players has definitely benefited not only them in the league, but uh, as a national team as well.
0: Now you're in Group F in the Euros, so Portugal are. You've got Hungary, France and Germany. Hungary first. What are your thoughts overall, Danny, on how Portugal might fare? That's a tough group, is it not?
1: Oh, I think three for three. No big deal. I think, you know, Hungary, Germany, France. (laughs) What's, what's the, what's the harm there? I mean, you have the two, you have the two most recent world champions, plus you have Hungary who gets to play I mean, they they just made the the uh, made the tournament via the playoffs. And what are, and how are they rewarded? They're awarded by having a home matchup, and I think maybe more than one in the uh, in the group. Uh, they had a great three-three draw um, in in 2016 with Portugal uh, in their group play. So they're very familiar. Um, I, listen, the I I think Portugal has a tremendous shot uh, and, and should be considered one of the favorites to win, and not only win but repeat as European champions. I think the squad is undoubtedly more talented than the one that brought Portugal's first trophy in 2016. Uh, you didn't have Bruno Fernandes. You didn't have Diogo Jota. You didn't have Bernard Silva in the attack in 2016. Um, you have Ruben Dias now in the back as well. But I will say this, Paul. I I, I think that uh, to be in the group of death um, and to having to deal with Germany and France in your second and third match and then to open up in Hungary in Budapest against Hungary, it's a it's a tall order. And historically, Portugal hasn't really fared well when they are perceived as favorites. Uh, they are they are definitely an underdog type nation. Um, you know, you look at coming off of the Euro Championship, they only made it to the round of 16 and were knocked out uh, knocked out by uh, Uruguay in the World Cup. And then in 2012, when they made the semifinals uh, and lost out to Spain in, in penalties, they didn't get out of the group in 2014 in Brazil. So um, you know, as favorites, uh, it's, it's an un, uh, it's, it's uncharted territory for the most part, especially as defending champions. That is definitely uncharted territory for this national team. And then there's the question of Cristiano Ronaldo. It's like, how much does he have left and how much will he sure. be asked to carry? given the amount of talent that is now surrounding him compared to five years ago when they won the championship in 2016.
0: Danny, an absolute pleasure, mate. You must come back and talk to us again very soon indeed from the Selesail podcast. You can get that from most good podcast providers, Selesail, spelled S-E-L-E-C-A-O. And that was Danny Pinto talking to me, Paul Ross, and you guys on Chalk Sport and Chalk Radio.